This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The Jeff Fisher Show. How many times in your life, ask yourself this, how many times in your life have you been at a party, a little gathering, and you've you've not been on illegal drugs and in an altered state, and you've gotten naked and ran off into the woods? How many times have you done that? That's what I thought. The Jeff Fisher Show, Saturday morning, 6 to 8 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. This Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Freedom Disciple podcast on the Blaze Radio Network. I am your host, Jonathan Dunn, as always. I am on Twitter, at Freedom Disciple, at Freedom Disciple. Give me a follow during the show. Give me a tweet. Let me know where you think I'm right, where you think I'm wrong, where we possibly disagree, and let's have a debate, and let's engage and learn together. This has been a really interesting week. Um, Last week's podcast um, got some interesting feedback from it uh, when it was about war and the principles on it. So if you haven't listened or downloaded, please consider doing it. It's on SoundCloud or iTunes. It's at Freedom Disciples. Um, check it out and please consider sharing it with your friends and your family I really appreciate any support I can get this week we're going to talk about something different we're going to talk about the principles um, of poverty but before we get that I want to talk about something that is bugging me all week and I want to talk to my Christian brothers and sisters but also anyone who listens to this, if you're atheist, Muslim, Jewish, anything. This week has been really strange. And I've been very quiet this week on social media for several reasons. But because I wanted to wait till the show came out to address something that is is honestly bugging the hell out of me. We as a world are on fire right now. We are a culture of death. We are a culture of evil. And we have tyranny in every part of the globe. Whether that is tyranny of government, tyranny of supreme courts, tyranny of legislators, of regulators, of terrorists, of socialism, of communism, of terrorism. People threatening countries like America with nukes, i.e. North Korea. You have countries who are getting nukes, are in the process of getting them, and the world is standing idly by, i.e. Iran. There's a world debt crisis going on, where economies are about to fall. You have this situation in Greece, which is going to cause a ripple effect in Europe, once again, with these new election results. You have a crisis of immigration, both in America... And in Europe. But for the whole week, I've watched the media, the bits I've seen that I can actually stomach. And I've watched my friends on social media not talk about that, not talk about the horrific hashtags I've seen this week. Hashtag shout your abortion. My God. No. Everyone seems to want to talk about, hey, 
Is Obama a Christian? I want to break this down in a principled way because honestly it's really starting to bug me. It is time to wake up and start debating real topics. But let me break this down because I do have a couple of things to say. Firstly, to my Christian brothers and sisters who say, of course he's not a Christian. No, he's not. If he's a Christian, I'm a flying pig or whatever Ted Janusian said. First of all, question one. Whose job is it to judge people? Is it people's job to judge people? Is it church's job? Or is it God's job? Something I'd ask you to think about. Because I can I can only speak for myself. It's not my job to judge anyone. I believe that's God's job. I'm not qualified to judge whether Obama's a Christian or not. To be quite honest, I don't really care. What I do judge is I judge you by your fruits. I don't know whether Obama's a Christian or not. I don't care. I don't know where he prays, whether he goes to church. Well, actually, I do know whether he goes to church or not because that's publicly available. But I don't know whether he reads scriptures, whether he prays, how he prays, what he prays, when he prays, how he prays, who he prays with. I can judge him by his actions. And I can clearly say his actions, at least quite a lot of them, in my opinion, are not very Christian. I don't agree with them. But that brings me to my second point. What is a real Christian? I actually think me and Obama might actually have some common ground on this issue. In that... I think he cares about whether you think he's a Christian or not. About as much as I care about whether you think I'm a Christian or not. Because I get told all the time I'm not a real Christian. In fact... People like me are kind of despised all around the world. In in a funny way, I'm actually kind of... People like me are despised more than Glenn Beck and Mormons. I get called different names and I get called different things by different people. Because I'm a non-domination Christian. I don't belong to any religion. I get insulted all the time. I got called Judas about a week ago. Because I dare say the following outrageous statement. Not all Muslims are bad. I don't believe in generalization. Just last weekend I want to share a story with you. I wear uh, a necklace. And on that necklace, if you've seen some pictures, I'm sure of me you've seen it. There are dog tags. They have different messages on them, and I just might share that with you another day. But there's also a big cross, and I was in a, I was in work on Saturday, and I wear this cross most of the time. But when I'm in work, it's not the time to wear dog tags and draw attention to it, so I put it underneath my shirt or my polo neck. And on last Saturday, I was in a short store doing a call, and you can see it through the polo neck; it bulges. Gentleman said, uh, "What's that? Can I ask you what's around your neck?" So I never hide from it, and I took it out and I showed him. And he saw the cross, and 
He said, hey, you're Christian. I said, yes, I am. What religion? None. Huh. And there was another gentleman. Now, he was, I think he was Polish or Latvian, European. Lovely dad. I've seen him three or four times. Very chatty. So he started saying, okay, so you don't belong to a religion. Okay, so he was curious and he started asking me questions. And he said, so how does one go to church or what church do you go to? I said, I don't belong to a religion. I don't belong to a church. I'll go to any church. I'll worship in any house. I'll worship in a synagogue, in an LDS church, in a Catholic church, in a Protestant church. I don't care. I'll talk to a rabbi, a pastor, a preacher, Baptist, anything. And he said, but you don't go to church. Nope. Not on a regular basis. And his friend said, then that's not a real Christian. And this is not the first time I've heard it. I always find when people say to me, so you don't have a priest or you don't go to church on a regular basis, but you can't be a Christian. I laugh because I always find it ironic and I feel sorry for those people who say that because of one reason. Just break down the logic behind that statement. You are saying to me that I need a man-made building or a man to have a relationship with God. I might be wrong, but I'm here to tell you I can have a relationship with God directly. I can cut out the middleman. But here's the thing. I used to go to a Catholic church on a regular basis and had major difference of opinion. And I don't go there as much. There's not a nice environment. But I would go to any Catholic church. I have nothing against Catholics. But here's the thing. Some of the people I worshipped with would openly say some of the following statements. Jesus was a socialist. I wrote about that once. A member of my extended family who I don't see very often is on public records of saying to many, many people, Israel is an evil nation. Okay. I have other friends who don't see the problem with gay marriage. These are all Christians. Some are Catholics, some are Protestants. Here's the thing. Are they Christians? You might say, have an opinion right now, say, no, they're not, John. They couldn't be. They can't be. It goes against the teachings of the Bible. Here's the thing. It's not my job to judge. It's not my job to say, hey, you're not a Christian. Or you're not a good Christian. Because you don't believe what I believe. However, I can judge them by their actions. And say, you know what, I don't really want to worship in the same place you worship. I've seen priests give the most socialist sermons ever. Does that mean they're not a Christian? It's not my job to judge. I just know. Yeah, I pretty much am not going to respect you as a pastor and I'm not going to listen to you. Because I don't want to listen to something that I don't believe. That is something I think is very important. The third thing I want to talk about with this situation is the media. I love your media. In case you don't get with the Irish accent, there's a lot of sarcasm in that. I love the media how if you just sit back and watch, they'll contradict each other. 
they'll take different sides of the argument depends on depending on which way the ball is bouncing. And sometimes they're in the direct disagreement with each other and they don't even recognize it. This is why I think God has the biggest sense of humor for many reasons, but you look at the liberal New York Times, Washington Times media this week. What are the two big stories in America? Is Obama a Christian? And hashtag, because I love hashtags. It's so good, it makes me feel so important. Hashtag, I stand with Ahmed. So in the same week, we have, I stand with Ahmed, because he was Muslim profiled, you know, because he made a clock. And Muslim profile is wrong. The same time the media is spewing this out, the same time they're talking about Obama being a Christian. I ask you to close your eyes and imagine one thing right now. Could you imagine if my boss, Glenn Beck, tomorrow started the radio show going, or Monday, sorry, tomorrow's Sunday. Yeah, I've got breaking news for you. Obama's a Muslim. Could you imagine how the media would portray that? So, in one hand, we have to feel sorry for the Muslims. Their, their culture is part of America. They're profiled against. We Americans are bigots. They hate them. Yeah, on the other hand, if you dare say a president isn't a Christian, you're evil. You're a right-wing crazy or whatever they're going to call you today. I'm, I'm not up to date with my liberal lingo. I apologize. I find this highly... If the world wasn't on fire and I was just sitting back kicking a beer, I would really enjoy this because I'd go, oh my God, you guys are so stupid. But I can't really enjoy it. But lastly, and this is my last point on this story because I want to get down to some real issues. To anyone who wants to debate this, because I've seen so many posts on social media. Okay, let's say you're right. Obama's not a Christian. Let's say, go one step further. He announces at a press conference, yeah, you know what, I was lying all those years. I thought I had to say I was a Christian to, to get elected. I'm sorry. Well, actually, you wouldn't say I'm sorry. That's not really in his character. But yeah, I, you know, I, I flip-flopped. I'm no longer a Christian. Because, you know, being atheist is now cool. What does that solve? What does your debate solve? What freedoms have we won back? How am I a freer person because Obama all of a sudden has admitted he's not a Christian? How is the world a safer place? How is the world a better place by knowing this? This is what I, I don't understand. If someone has any feedback for me, please tell me why we're debating this. If there's anything, what's to be gained? Because I just don't see it. I see us wasting time. Sorry, I shouldn't. I may. I probably shouldn't say that. I apologize. I just don't think it's a time concerning positive that we should be doing. Especially not with the world it's in. Because this world is becoming more and more dangerous. Tyranny is spreading everywhere. Any freedoms that we have are evaporating really quickly. 
And we now have people with, as I said, hashtag shout your abortion. We are living in troubling times. I firmly believe we are coming to a y-axis in the road. In fact, we might already be there. And the choice is simple. The choice is, you either live freer than you have ever lived freer than ever before, or you choose total government, world governments, totalitarian regimes, and tyranny. I know what road I want to choose. I know what road I hope you choose. Because America, you changed the world once. You can change it again. You can alter its axis. I want to finish this segment by firstly giving you a quote for the day. And it's to honour a person who died this week. A great person. A great parallel player of baseball Yogi Bear when you come to a fork in the road take it it's one of his yogiisms rest in peace brother you are a great Yankee but during this commercial break I would ask you to close your eyes and to think of something because for the rest of this show I want to talk about real issues and I want to talk about poverty and what it entails and during this break, I would ask you to think about a quick, not fancy, a quick definition of poverty in your own mind. What it is, what, what does poverty actually mean? When someone is living in poverty, what, what does that mean? Think about it, because I've got a lot to say about this issue. I'll be right back, America. I hope you'll stick with me. This is going to be a fun show. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. See, this is the type of stuff I'm talking about. You know, we have to get these ice cream truck drivers under control. This is one ice cream truck driver. It's not one ice. No, we see epidemic. stories like this all the damn time. Wow, all the time, ice cream truck drivers out of control. Out of, yeah, we do. Whether they're fighting, a, 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 a warring over their turf. The morning blaze with Doc and Skip, weekday mornings six to nine Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks for sticking with me, America. So what is poverty? What is poverty to you? I'm guessing if you're like the vast majority of people today, you would come up with some of the following. I'm going to give you some definitions that I found through Googling. So Webster's Dictionary came up with the definition of poverty. The state of one who lacks a usual or socially acceptable amount of money or material possessions. A lack of fertility, deability due to malnutrition, scarcity or dirt. 
there's an Irish company, sorry, not an Irish company, an Irish organization, an agency. They have this fancy title, Combat Co Poverty. And they have a definition. What is poverty? Poverty is people are living in poverty if their income and resources, which are material, cultural, and social, are so inadequate as to preclude them from having a standard of living which is regarded as acceptable by Irish society generally. As a result of inadequate, inadequate income, excuse me, I can't speak, and other resources, people may be excluded and marginalised from participating in activities which are considered the norm for other Irish people. So how are many people are poor and what's the basis and what's the general? Again, I'm going to use Irish figures, which I'll equate to dollars. The poverty threshold, they come up with this fancy way. Is, what they do is they take all the income in Ireland, they divide it up by the people, they get a median income, and they basically says, if you are below 60%, I don't know where they get the 60% from, but if you're below the 60% of medium income, you're basically at risk of living in poverty. Which in Ireland, if you are earn about 12,000 euros a year, which is approximately 15 to 16,000 dollars a year, you're at risk of poverty. So how do we measure it? Again, in Ireland, again I'm using Irish for a reason, but they're socially acceptable in America, just the amounts change. So there are these 11 basic items which are used to construct whether you live or close to the poverty line or how you can, how close you are to it. I'd like to give you the 11 because I want to build up to something bigger. Here are the 11 things. And they're basic apparently. Without heating at some stage in the last year. Unable to afford a morning, afternoon or evening out in the last fortnight. Unable to afford two pairs of strong shoes. Unable to afford a roast once a week. Unable to afford a meal with meat, chicken or fish every second day. Unable to afford new, not secondhand, new clothes. Unable to afford a warm waterproof coat. Unable to afford to keep the house adequately warm. Unable to afford to replace any worn out furniture. Unable to afford to have family, friends for a drink at least once a month. And unable to afford to buy presents for family, friends, at least once a year. The reason I want to talk about poverty today is because the Pope is in America, as I'm sure you've heard this week. And one of the things he's addressing is income inequality. So I think it's time we address poverty head on. Because... In my opinion, I used to be a volunteer for a big charity in Ireland. It's worldwide charity. I'm sure you've heard of it. There's bad points and good points about it, but it's the Society of Vincent de Paul. I was a member for five years. I was a conference president. I was a trainer for them. I used to go out and give uh, speak for them um, to do recruitment and fundraising. And what used to it, I found very interesting was when I talked to people in groups or in privately. 
Every time I talked poverty, everyone boiled poverty down to money. And when it came to fixing poverty, which I always found ironic because we were a charity, to fix poverty, the answers were always the same. More governments, more programs, more welfare, more money, take from the rich, give to the poor. Just more and more government. This idea that if you just throw enough money at it, poverty will eventually go away. That if you just have another welfare program, or just another program, poverty will eventually just you know ease off. Sure, you might never fix it. Some people would admit that, not many. But at least it would be better. And that, that's something to strive for. What I find interesting is the definition, firstly, of those 11 things. That's not living in poverty. I find it ironic. I was speaking to a friend of mine. More of an acquaintance, but a friend of mine. And we were reminiscing about... I'm going to sound really old now, about the past. And he spoke about his parents. And he was amazed at how things have changed. And one of the things he noticed and how he was reminiscing about how kids have us so good today and they haven't got a clue how and we were giving out about how today we don't appreciate things there is a point I'm giving this to you by the way I'm just trying to set the stage so bear with me but we were giving out about just how much things have changed in our lifetime I'm in my early 30s so I'm not like an old man yet but we used to save up on pocket money or I worked and you'd get the Beano or the dandy, they were the comics, or match, which was soccer. And that had to last you for the week. Today, kids, if you gave them a magazine, they'd be back at you in five minutes saying, yeah, I've read it, next one, please. That's if they read magazines. Today you've got Xboxes and Playstations and Wiis and all, I don't know, I'm not very uh, gamey, so there's plenty of consoles. I think there's like six or seven of them out with many different games. You've got sports games, you've got gun games, you've got farming games. Even on Facebook you got things people invite me all the time and I don't know what they are. Candy Crush and I Spy and God knows what else. You have games everywhere. And we just use and abuse. Oh yeah, I played that game, I'm bored with it, it's finished, I want the next one. You know, even the soccer games. You know, it's FIFA twenty fourteen. And then it's FIFA 2015. And then it's FIFA 2016. There's no... Let's just keep playing this. You know, I've done that. I'm finished. It's bored. I want the new one. But he... After he's talked... We talked about this for a while. He then told me the story of his parents. And how things have changed just in that generation. His parents came from the country. And one of the things they had because he was saying about how his because he's now got kids himself and he said your grandkids don't know how lucky you are or how they are when I was growing up I walked to school on my bare feet look at how much we've advanced as society and yet we don't appreciate things look at these things that we may, now make 
part if you're living in poverty if you can't afford any of these things that 11 things I said to you and I'll put these up on my the websites under the show at freedomsdisciple.com but one of them unable to afford a morning afternoon or evening out in the last fortnight how many people who work their fingers to the grindstone can't afford them a night out yet they're not living in poverty not been able to afford new clothes as if second hand clothes is such a disgrace or a bad thing not able to keep the warm house adequately warm yet there are plenty of people who can't do that you have to do things unable to have family friends for a drink or a meal once a month if you can't do these things are you seriously telling me you're in poverty I think we need to reassess things and put our priorities straight. But here's the thing. When I was giving these speeches and talking to these groups of people, it always worried me that the definition was always financial and the solution was always more and more government. I'm here to tell you today, as someone who lives under poverty conditions, I wasn't working for a long time. I haven't had a full-time job in four years. That's now fixed. I now have a job. And I'm working every year that I possibly can. Thank God I've got a job. But that's a discussion for another day. So I'm the reason I say that is, I'm not one of these millionaires and billionaires looking down on other people. I'm not one of these rich people. Or I'll go one step further to use language that I despise and can't stand. I'm not even in the middle class, quote unquote. You know, if you ask me today, hey, can I have a lend of a tenner, ten euros? I'd struggle to get it to you. So I'm very much on this level. So I can say, you know what? Poverty is not just financial. But I'll go one step further. Poverty will never, ever, ever be fixed by government. For many reasons. But firstly because it makes the mistake of thinking that poverty is just financial. That poverty, if you just throw more money at it, if you just increase taxes and create more programs, it will eventually be fixed. Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. And expecting different results. You look at government solutions. You look at people like Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. I fight for women and I fight for women's rights. And Yeah, you fight for government. To give them government rights. To make them dependent on you. The choice is for freedom. But first, before we can overcome poverty, we must identify what poverty actually is. So for the rest of this show, I'm going to break down poverty to you. I'm going to break down how I see poverty. Because let me tell you, we live in a poverty-stricken world. And there's only one cure. Well, actually there's two. One is God. But, you know, we're not supposed to talk about God because God's not cool today. But the other cure is you. Yes, you, I'm talking to you, the listener.
the individual. You want to fix poverty? I'd ask you to sit back and over the next 15 to 20 minutes as I break these down and run through these. See how you can fix them. Better yet, at the end of each one I'm going to say to you, how can government fix this? How can government fix it? You have all the power in the world, how would you fix it? I have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. I think I have 10 things of poverty in the world. Not one of them can be fixed by government. They can only be fixed by you, the individual. i got to take another quick break, America. I hope you'll stick with me as I break down poverty and the poverties I see in the world. I'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. This week's show, busier than a one-legged man at a butt-kicking contest. We've got a sharpshooter who splits two cards with two bullets, only pulling one trigger. How does that happen? Plus, a Blaze editor experiments on herself. And a guy wonders, what's in the First Amendment? Most people don't know. Don't miss it. Pure Opelka. Saturdays, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn On Demand. Thanks for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on Twitter, at Freedom Disciple, at Freedom Disciple. Hit me up with a tweet, tell me where you think I'm right, where you think I'm wrong, and let's engage. So the first area of poverty I see that's not financial, can't be fixed by a government program, and I think is one of the most important, that's education. Glenn Beck and his team and his audience last year did a great job. If, you, if you're if you a fan of the show and fan of the blaze, you will have noticed some of the work they did against Common Core, which is fantastic. Um, Common Core is a disaster. Federally funded, federal standards is not something I think is a good thing. I believe in keeping the power as close to the individual as possible, not in a federal government. But education and poverty of education is incredibly important today. Because a lot of answers I see in education is, well, we just need to source the right school. We just need to send our kids to, you know, quote-unquote, a conservative school. Or a religious school. I don't think that's the answer. I hate dealing in generalities. Because I know some will say. Well my teacher is different. Perfect. Absolutely wonderful. But how many things. Teachers do you think today. Teach what to think. Instead of how to think. Even I'll speak to them. Just to my conservatives. Friends. Do you want your kids to be taught a conservative lifestyle? Say, you have to believe in the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Ninth Amendment. You have to believe in freedom. 
Or do you have the confidence of your convictions to say, no, I want my kids to learn how to think and let them find their journey on themselves? I think the biggest poverty we have in education today is firstly, we don't have the confidence of our convictions and teach you how to think. I've said this many times already on air, but education and to educate yourself is as easier than it has ever been in our, anybody's lifetime. I say, I'm not that old, I'm in my early 30s. If I wanted to learn something when I was in school, you had to go to a library and you had to read many, many books. Today, you can sit in the comfort of your own home, on your comfy chair, on your fancy iPad, and go on the internet. No one has to see you. You don't have to read multiple books. You just have to Google a question and then learn how to think and do your own research. But that's not the only poverty of education we have. There's a bigger one in my opinion and it's something we need to address very quickly and very swiftly. Education. Where does it come from? How many people today do you think education comes from school? That's, it's school's responsibility. Education comes from a teacher. Well, of course it does. Where else would it come from, John? I'm glad you asked. Because if your education is just coming from school, I'm here to tell you I think you're missing out on so many resources that you are missing out of a huge part of life, which I think is a disservice and extremely unfortunate. Let me give you some of the places education comes from. I'm going to start with something controversial. You ready? Your parents. I didn't say parent. I said parents. Plural. Your brothers and your sisters. Your friends. Your extended family. Your church. Your Bible studies group. Your community. And arguably we are not using today one of the greatest resources we have. Our grandparents. How many t people today spend time with their grandparents and say, Hey, what was the last depression like? What was it like through it? I know this might be extending it a bit, but this is going back to my time. What was the Second World War really like? Hey, I've read about Martin Luther King in a textbook, and yeah, yeah, and I read his transcript of his I Have a Dream speech, and yeah, that's all great and all, but what was it actually like living through that period of time? Give me the emotion to it. Give me the story. Don't just give me the facts and the figures. I want the story. How many people do that today? Or aunts and uncle, uncles if you haven't got grandparents. You know, people who are older. Who've been there, done that, seen it and bought the t-shirt. I'm not saying you have to agree with everything. But at least learn the story. And then make up your own mind. I'll go one step further. The education of how to live. Parts of the education that you used to get back in my day if you wanted it but today we just don't pass down 
we don't get it in school and we don't pass down from generation to generation I'm talking about simple things how to live how to pay your bills now I always find it ironic you go to school you learn about business and you learn about accounts you learn about all this fancy history and geography and all these different sciences how to you know atoms mix with atoms and neutrons mix with something else and like don't do science I'm sorry um, but yeah we don't teach the simple things how, you, how to balance a checkbook how to pay your bills on time how to budget or something simple how to cook I used to say I used to be part of Vincent de Paul we'd go around houses trying to help people and I remember one year we got a huge donation from an Irish celebrity you wouldn't know them and he gave us a huge amount of vouchers for the local grocery store for a turkey and a ham they gave this voucher and you got a turkey and ham and I remember the first time I did it those calls because he donated several years in a row and it was really embarrassing you had to go into a house to a family to a mother to a father in some cases and go hey I've got this voucher for a turkey and a ham do you know how to cook it because if you didn't you weren't getting it but how embarrassing that in today's world we talk about poverty and well you can't go out and you haven't got strong shoes and you haven't had a, your family and friends out once a year and, or once a month and you haven't been able to buy presents but we never talk about hey can you cook a turkey and a ham or how about this can you bake a loaf of bread now that's what I call our poverty do you think that's a poverty in the world today that's the first part of education that's, that's education now tell me through everything I've talked about for the last eight minutes can government fix tell me the welfare program that fixes that tell me how anybody as a collective fixes that or do we start going hey you know what fixes that me my church my family my friends my community and me helping others there's one more part of education and it's a different section but it's very much in the education part I see a poverty of thinking today just look at anyone whether you agree with them or not whether you like them or not look how we treat people who challenge the status quo look at how we treat people who say something we disagree with and this is not a recent phenomenon this has happened for all the history you know it's it's popular today because climate change is big you know when you disagree with climate change you're a flat earther well there was a time when actually humans thought the earth was actually flat and if you said no no it's actually not flat it's round you were laughed you were demonized and you were pretty much banished from society how have we changed from those five six seven hundred years ago look at how we treat people who say yeah let's be different let's challenge the status quo look at people 
I hate including myself because... But look at people who talk for freedom. I make a stand for freedom. Look at how people like me are treated. I don't care, but just see, look, see how people... You're a right-wing nut job. Look at how the American people... Look at the politicians, how they talk about you. You're a wacko bird. Oh, you're a teabagger. You believe in freedom and less taxes. And look at the environment it creates. What type of environment are we teaching our kids? Sit down, shut up, and agree. Conform. Because it, don't you dare have a different opinion. Because if you do, we're going to demonize you. Is that a poverty? Is that something we should address in society? And show me the welfare program that fixes that. Let's move on a bit. How about the poverty of truth? Look at the world we live in today. Whether it's Trayvon Martin. Or any of these other stories. I met that clock kid a couple of last week in Texas. We rush to judgment. The media has this battle to be first. Not right, first. We live in a world of cult of personality. Where we put people above their principles and their policies. If I like you, you're good. If I don't like you, you're bad. And we condemn them. Without actually listening to what we say. Or what they say. We never seem to have a poverty or acceptance of truth. We never seem to, let's just investigate. Or in the case of Trayvon Martin and all these other stories. How about we believe in the principle of, let's the chip fall where they may. And that you're innocent until proven guilty. And let's have the truth. Not what you want the truth to be, but the truth. How about a bigger poverty in the world? How about the poverty of forgiveness? How about the poverty that says, you know what? It's time to forgive people. Someone wronged me in the past, time to move on. How does government fix that? Give me the welfare program that fixes that. Want some more? Because I got loads more to get through. How about the poverty of faith? Look at your churches today. What do they stand for? How many today truly believe in God? And what do they believe? Just look at faith. I always found it funny. I used to go to a Catholic church quite a lot. I always found it funny. You know, the weekend, masses, scattered crowds. The only time you ever had to worry about getting a seat in our church was Christmas and Easter. Christmas and Easter. What happens the rest of the year? 
Look at sermons in your church. How about a poverty of sermons? And this is probably apt only to America. Because, and I'm no expert on this, but I've, I'm starting to read a lot more and learn a lot more of how important, crucial and key your pulpit was to your family. Before there was a declaration of independence and all men are created equal, there was a pastor on a sermon talking about that. How many sermons today that we built in and say, ah, oh, look, you've got five minutes to talk to me and preach to me. After five minutes, I'm zoning out. How many sermons today are, well, look, you gotta, you know, you gotta be, play a bit of politically correct, you know, and don't offend anyone, be safe. You know, don't talk about the, 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 the taboo subjects like, you know, gay marriage, abortion. Just keep it safe. Whatever you do, don't talk about our Christians and brothers and sisters in the Middle East getting slaughtered. That just, you know, it's Sunday morning. People don't want to hear this. Never forget a story. A lady. When I was in a church. She was an elderly lady. She was on a walker. She was sitting in the chair. And the priest was late coming out to Mass. It was a Saturday night. She was rocking forward and backwards. And I could see her and you're going, What's that woman doing? Is she okay? Is she she's sick? Is something happening? And eventually she turns around to me and she goes, Hey Sonny, come here. She you know, points her finger and pulls it and, you know, beckoning me towards her. And she goes, Sonny, come here. And I go, Yes ma'am, what can I get you? What's is are you okay? Or 'cause she's clearly agitated. And you're not sure, you know, she's sick or... And she says, I need you to do me a favor. And I said, okay, what, what's up? And she said, I need you to go into the, get the, tell the priest and give the priest a message for me. And I kind of go, something's not right here. Okay, what do you want me to tell him? Get him, tell him to come out here and, and start mass and not to keep his sermon too long because bingo starts at eight o'clock. And I just went, I just said, I'm sorry, I, I'm not can't do that and I just sat back up and just left the lady alone but how many people today have faith when I tell that story how many people put faith first how many people today think that hey I'm a Catholic so I can't possibly talk to a Protestant and I'm a Protestant I can't possibly talk to a Catholic and by the way, the reason I always use those two because somebody says, why do you always pick on the Catholics and the Protestants? The reason I tend to do it, and I'm not picking on them, I'm just highlighting them, is because I'm Irish. Number one, that's Catholics are by far the biggest religion in Ireland, but also because of Irish history. Look at how Catholics and Protestants have treated each other. You know, both Christians, both worship the same God, yet both hate each other. It's not as bad anymore, but you know, there's still a lot of that divide. Do you think that's a poverty? Give me the welfare program that fixes the poverty of faith. Give me the, the program, the bill that you sign into law to fix that. I don't see it. Give me the politician that you elect in 2016 that fixes your education poverty, your thinking poverty, your truth poverty, your faith poverty. Your forgiveness poverty. Who do you elect to fix them? 
Or do you start getting to the point where you realize, you know, who's responsible for fixing them and who can fix them? It's not government. It's not a politician. It's not a president. It's not a bill. It's not a law. It's not a regulation. It's me. I'm going to take one more quick break, America. I hope you'll stick with me as I finish off this list of poverty as I see the world today. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. Salcedo. Allow me to educate you, you left-wing biased nut, that just because it's illegal doesn't make it Latino. That if illegal is a status of law, it is not a race or an ethnicity. Allow me to remind you of that, because apparently you are so incompetent that you think when I talk about clamping down on illegal immigrant and illegal immigrant felons, I'm talking about a race. Chris Salcedo, Saturdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple. Give me a message. Tell me what you think so far. If there's a welfare program that you think can fix education, thinking, truth, forgiveness, faith, please tell me. I'd love to see it. I'd love to hear the the bullet point proposals of it. But I can't see any of them, and I don't see a responsibility of any politician to accept to to fix these I think that responsibility falls squarely on our shoulders or my shoulders anyway you can think for yourself and make that decision for yourself I want to close out the show by talking about a couple of poverties three to be precise that I think are huge today that we need to address Loneliness. How many people today are alone? How many people today are hurting? Are suffering? Feeling no one cares? How many people today are feeling like... I could die tomorrow and no one would really notice? How many people today are just struggling to have an interaction... A meaningful interaction with someone. When I used to give these speeches and for the recruitment to get volunteers in, I used to because people always ask, "What what do I need to be a volunteer? How, what skills do I need?" And I used to always say, "You only need two skills. You need to have to be able to smile and actually have a genuine smile. You need to care." And I always ask people, and you could always see people's heads, you know, their their brains clicking and churning as I'd say this. How many times have you had the following conversation with someone? Now this is an Irish conversation, make it American for your own sake. You see someone on the street, you go, hey, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? I'm good, thanks. And you walk right on. How many times do you ask people, hey, how are you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? 
and actually stop for an answer and actually say it in such a way that you you're not just saying it to be polite or just the way you go but you actually want to stop and say hey how are you tell me I care I want to help or is everything I need to get I need to get somewhere I need to get there I need to I'm, I'm on a mission I need, I need to be somewhere I need to talk to someone I need to phone someone I need to do something this is me by the way that's the way I am how many times do you just stop and talk to someone? How many times do you call in your neighbour? Say, hey, how you doing? You okay? Especially in, as we're approaching winter, I say this. You know, it's cold, dark. It gets dark and in Ireland in about three, four weeks it'll be dark at four o'clock in the afternoon. You know, things like that. How many people do you know that are suffering from depression? Or how many people do you think might be suffering from depression but will never admit it? How many people do you know that, hey, yeah, they care about me? Loneliness and depression and pain and anxiety are horrible things. People can throw medication at them all they want. I don't see a government solution there, a politician solution there. I see a, a person situation there, calling in saying, how you doing? Watch a match with someone. Talk football. Give a call. Give a text to a friend. I see another poverty in the world today. Of love and acceptance. I see so many people today knowing exactly what they hate. But what do they actually love? Who do they really love? How do they act in love? How about acceptance? I engage, I'll talk to anyone, publicly, privately, or on social media. But how many people can say, yeah, look, you see it this way, I see it this way. Let's just agree to disagree and, you know, go on with our lives and not hate each other. How many people can we accept today? Can we just say, look, yeah, we see the world different ways, that's fine. You go about your life, I'll go about my life and, you know, I wish you nothing but the best, but we just disagree. God bless you. Or is it, no, you have to agree with me. Look, listen, I, I know you see the world this way, but look, this is the way it is. It, it, it has to be this way. And I'm going to ensure that you see things my way or I'm going to hate you. And lastly, one of the biggest poverties I see in the world today is a poverty of hope and poverty of dreams. When I used to go out to families and sit in people's homes and try and assess what we could do for them, one of the most troubling phrases I'd hear, I'd hear, hear it from time to time, and it was really impossible, because when people would call you up and say, hey, I need help, they'd go, what's the problem? I'm behind in my heating bill. Can't afford to pay it. No problem, we'll help you. 
My little son is going to school. Can't afford the books. No problem, we'll help you. You can fix these. These are monetary things. Hey, uh, it's coming to Christmas. You know, can't afford to pay, you know, buy kids Santa presents. Again, you can fix that. Give you a teddy. Give you a present. Give you a voucher. Hey, we were broken into a couple of weeks ago. Back door's broken. No pane of glass. Sure, we can fix that. I can get you a pane of glass. No problem. Hey, the washing machine's broken. Sure, we can get a. We have a guy on the call. We can give him a call. He gives us good rates. Fix your washing machine. You're all sorted. When someone sits in your house, or you're sitting in someone's house, and they say, "I look at my life today. What if this is as good as it gets? How'd you fix that? How'd you fix that? What do you say?" You know, the one thing I was always amazed by, by meeting some people, is if you read history, and you read how history has advanced. I spoke earlier on in the show about my friend of mine who was talking about his father. He used to walk to school in bare feet. If you look at how the arc of the world is advancing, the chances are extremely high that your kids will live a better life and have more opportunities than you. Yet, so many good parents will sacrifice everything they have for their kids. It's incredible. But what do you say to someone who has no hope? Who's just full of despair? What do you say to someone who has no dream? That dream could be something simple of I want to be the first person in my family to go to college. I want to be the first person in my family to hold a full-time job. When they don't have that dream. I want to be the first person in my family to complete high school. When they don't have that dream, what do you fill it with? What hope do they have? And how do you give it to them? And how do you give them real hope? And not just empty words and promises. We live in a world that's really lacking dreams. A dream of a better tomorrow. A dream of a world that all men are created equal. And that we mean it. Not just, well, all men are created equal, but... You know, if I know people that you don't know and I can be crony capitalism, I can get ahead. Or if I win an election, I get to tell you what to do. Or if I hold a fancy title, I get to influence more than you do. How about real dreams? Real dreams of, let's go to the moon. I see some people with dreams today, but not nowhere near enough. The only limit you have in life is the one you set yourself. The problem is today we don't set ourselves anything. 
because we're so afraid of failure. We're so afraid of people laughing at us. It's time to dream. And to dream big. The small dreams of just surviving or being a better tomorrow are okay, but let's dream big. Let's win this. I have a couple of more minutes with you. But I want to stress a couple of things and I want to close with a story to bring this whole show full circle. I want to stress something that I think is very important. In my shows, I'm not telling you the way it is. I'm telling you the way I see it and backing it up where possible with facts. It's time for you to do your own research. Don't believe me. Don't believe Glenn Beck or anyone at the Blaze or anyone on Fox News or any other network you watch. Don't believe them. Don't take their word for it. Empower yourself. If you disagree with me, i got no problem with that. If you want to disagree with me privately and not do anything, fine. If you want to disagree with me and tell me about it, I'll welcome you. I have no problem. I'm not egotistical enough to say, my way or the highway. I accept different people. I just want to stress that because some people have said, you know, people say different things. But I always say, question yourself. Question everything I say and anybody you listen to. Whether it's Glenn Beck, Buck Sexton, Doc Thompson, Sheriff Clark, Rabbi Lappin. doesn't matter who they are or what they are in society. Question everyone. Question with boldness. And learn where you stand on the issues. I want to close today's show by telling, asking you one last question. When I was a trainer, again for Vincent de Paul, I used to train people before they'd go out and visit some different training. They had to get an overview of the company or the, the organization and how we did things and why we did things and how we helped and when we helped. But as an icebreaker, I asked a question and I used to always get laughs and everyone would kind of look at each other going is this the first time you meet me uh, unless I gave the recruitment speech but I was an, a national trainer so there was a lot of strangers I met and I always just say hey I'm John I'm the trainer this is a bit about me but I want to start today by asking a question and the question I always asked was who here believes in Santa Claus and people would look at each other and smile and go what have we signed up for? But no one would ever put their hand up. Except me. Because I do believe in Santa Claus. And the reason I'm telling you this story today is because there's a reason. Because I want to bring this show full circle to close. The reason I believe in Santa Claus is because there is Santa Claus. You're Santa Claus. I'm Santa Claus. Everyone, at one stage or another, is Santa Claus. Do I believe in Santa Claus that's probably a big guy like me with a overweight, loves cookies, loves milk, flies on a reindeer one night a year, goes all around the world delivering presents, fits down a tiny chimney, don't ask questions if the house doesn't have a chimney, um, 
and leaves presents and sings ho 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 and has magic dust and no but I do believe each of us are Santa Claus at Christmas time when you give a gift to someone whether it's your loved one your partner your friends your brother your sister your kids to take time out and spend some of your hard earned money to give someone a gift that's incredibly important saying I love you to that person you're Santa Claus to that person you are Santa Claus and it doesn't have to be always be your loved one it can be something simple like a person in work who you don't really see like a Chris Kindle or something and you just give them a card or a scratch card or something small to say happy Christmas that can change someone's outlook that you cared and to that person at that time you are Santa Claus the reason I bring this story up is when I because when I was in the training I used to say now just remember every interaction you have with anybody you're Vincent de Paul you're helping that person you're making a difference in society the reason I bring this story up today is because I want to bring the show full circle we open today's show by talking about is Obama a Christian I have a challenge for myself and for every person who listens who's a Christian the challenge is do you believe in Jesus Christ and if you do be like him act like him or try try and be a better person I leave you with the story today is if there was a trial against you it was in a full court and the charge was you are a Christian would they find enough evidence against you to be guilty that is something I would ask you to think about would they have enough evidence to charge you on the spot lock you up and throw away the key would the charge have been a Christian or would they have to dig really deep to find that evidence it's time to understand one thing governments don't change the world welfare programs government programs regulate regulations legislation doesn't change the world hearts minds faith hope and love do and no matter how many other people tell you you can't you can change the world something simple like a smile can change the world I hope you've enjoyed this show please consider sharing it with your friends and your family I hope it makes you think about poverty in a whole new light and share any of this message with your friends challenge them on poverty as always I finish today's show by saluting your police your firefighters your emergency personnel 
and most of all in my eyes, your vets. Thank you from the bottom of my heart what you do and what you stand for. And thank you, the great American people. You are what makes America great. And you are the reason I love America. Have a blessed Saturday and a lovely weekend. And I talk to you next week. God bless. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.